0: Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Amen. Well, this is kind of like if there was a rivalry beginning to brew, this would be like part two, I guess. Christine preached last week, did a great job, phenomenal job. And now now Tyler Sutherland's going to come and share. And you're going to look at him and wondering, why is that man wearing shorts to preach? I'm going to tell you why. It's because Tyler spends so much time in the anointing that the bottom of his pants would always be wet. That's just, he is so into the presence of God all the time. It is a sign of his spiritual depth, which is only knee deep, I guess. <laughs> Why don't you give an amazing round of applause for this man who's going to come and share God's word with you. Well, um, I don't know about that, but yes, I, uh, I really struggled uh, this week, not so much with what to talk about. Uh, God laid on my heart very early a couple of things that I could talk about uh, when it came up, when it came to doing a sermon. Uh, so I felt very confident with that, but I really struggled with uh, what song to choose so I chose Awake My Soul. I kind of bobbled back and forth between, between a couple of Mumford and Sun songs, and I settled on Awake My Soul because it has this lyric in the bridge that says, where is it? Uh, in these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die, and where you invest your love, you invest your life. I just, that really uh, struck a chord with me. I, I just, it hit me in a way that was like, yes, and it's, Matthew 6, uh, where is it? 621 is, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so that's kind of the, the root, the background of what I plan on talking about today. Um, the secondary of struggle that I had uh, is not nearly as, like, uh, God-centered. I really struggled with not trying to insert as many different song titles into my summer mixtape talk because there was like 17 different things that I thought I could put this song in there. And then I would have people bopping in their head singing this song, and it seemed to me to be the greatest idea ever. But then I realized that it would just take away from God's power to be able to, like, move in your life if you are constantly singing the song that I have stuck in my head right now because I thought of it. I, I think it would just take away, so I chose not to do that. I chose to go the mature route. And you should all be very proud of me. So um, I, I have to tell you also, this is the first time I've had a captive audience in like six months. <laughs> and I'm a little bit overjoyed. Uh, those of you who don't know, I'm a teacher by trade, and I am used to having 30 some people from the hour of... in the morning, all the way through until 3 o'clock, and I get to talk as much as I want to, so I hope you brought a snack, (laughs) because we're going to get started. Um, So what I want to talk to you about today is, um, and I'll tell you up front that there's a little bit of this that for me is uh, still kind of a kick in the gut, a punch for me, but uh, we're just going to go for it, and hopefully I'm not going to cry. Uh, Yeah. If you've ever gone through a grad ceremony where I talk, I cry and I have a tendency to ugly cry. So if I end up with an ugly cry on, yeah, sorry for my eyes. No, it's more like, (laughs) Uh, anyways, um, I want to talk to you about like, especially in this COVID season, I feel like some of us have lost some of our spiritual passion. Um, I feel like uh, the complications that come along with this, um, though at one point in time, most of us probably would say that we found ourselves like God is at the center, at the heart, at the core of everything we do, we kind of have a tendency to fall off, and I know for me, going through my life, as I was preparing this, I went back through my life, and that is, like, a central theme of my life. When I was a teenager and I fully, you know, accepted God into my life, I was on fire. I was so enthusiastic, so excited, so, like, just every time I got to go to youth group, it was, like, the greatest day ever. I I looked forward to youth group. I looked forward to church. I came from a household that didn't go to church, uh, well, I shouldn't say that, we went to church when I was little and I came home with like macaroni Jesuses and crosses and things like that. Uh, I don't personally remember that, but my parents say that it happened, so I'm going to smile and nod and agree with them because they don't lie to me typically. Um, but um, the, the, those Sundays when I got to go to church and I got to go to Sunday school and I got to do those things and I got to hear from the Word of God, it was amazing. And I hit my late teens, and I kind of faded hard. And then I hit my, uh, my, my 18, 19, 20, and I was a youth leader. And, you know, back on fire, and yeah, Jesus, every day. And then I faded hard again in my late 20s. Uh, and I, I ebbed and flowed constantly in my life. And I was selling cars for a period of time. And I was, <laughs> it was pretty dark. I'm not going to lie. it was. It was like one of the worst times of my life. I mean, I had a ton of fun, and I had all these fun friends that were doing crazy things, and I was like, yeah, this seems like a great thing to do, and I'm not really making enough money, but I, I was, it was just fun. But it was not, God was not the, at the center, at the root of all that I did. Um, and then I got the job. And I, I was, I applied for the job, and I had prayed about the job, and I had been like, in a pretty dark place, and I was like, "God, I, I just need, I need to know that you're real. I need to know that you're here with me, that your that your presence is there still." And I prayed. I, I got th- I I okay. I threw down at God. I was like, "God, three strikes, or you're out," kind of thing. And He hit me with a strike, and I was like, "Okay, God, I'm out. I I, I see that. I see I see the God's power. This person spoke into my life in a very real way and very powerful." And I was like, okay, God, that's one. And then I kind of went back the next week, and I was at work, and another person, complete stranger, comes in and is like, Tyler, you're meant for more than this. And I was like, that's too God. And he hit me the next, that that Sunday, he hit me. There was a message. I cannot for life me remember what the verse is. Jeremiah 2011, what does it say, Christine? <laughs> I, this is all very, uh, anyways. And it, but he hit me right when I needed it and picked me up and put me back on a path. And the, like two weeks later, uh, we're, that was, this was 2007, right before the recession hit, and I'm selling cars thinking I'm gonna you know, make a living on selling cars. And I get a call from a friend, he's like, my dad needs a teacher, are you thinking about it? And I was like, yes, I am. And I get the call and I go to the interview. And the interview, he's like, what do you want? And I was like, these two things don't really go together in the teaching world. And he's like, I got a teaching job that's exactly that. I've got perfect teaching job. And God met me in my moment of need in a real way. And so I have to, I have to just... It really rocks me the way that God is able to, when I am at my lowest, God is able to meet me there and just, whether I'm willing or not, drag me along back to where I need to be, back to his presence where I know for sure that he is alive in here. So, um, I'm going to guess that during this COVID season, as the world kind of goes topsy-turvy, that... There's a decent number of us, whether it be physically in the sanctuary or online, that have found yourselves living out the doldrums, living out the low parts of life, finding yourselves not fully experiencing the goodness of God. Like you're not, you just feel like there's something missing. Um, You've lost your enthusiasm you've lost your passion, Uh, that is, maybe you've lost a little bit of your, that intimacy that you've experienced with God. Um, If you find yourself in that place where you feel like you've lost some of that intimacy, this message is for you. And it's for me too. The, The reason why this COVID season hit me so hard is really simple. I am an extremely high level uh, extrovert. Uh, my first time interacting with Generation Church, my wife bought me a one-way ticket to go to Manfred's. I had never met any of these people. I had worked with Tyson, wherever he's at, for a few years at Canadian Tire. And, you know, we knew of each other. I knew of Pastor Trav because he was a year older than me, and he had kids at the school. And I knew of people. I didn't know anybody. So I got on a bus with eight rowdy strangers, maybe ten rowdy strangers. And, you know, that wasn't actually a big deal for me. It was just, you know, I'm going for a van ride. I'll listen to people talk about sleds and guns and things like that. And it was fine. I'm I'm an extremely high-level extrovert, and I can just get into that situation and go and roll with it. Other things you should know about me is I am finding new passion for being the head of my household. Um, I haven't always had that. I have been very willing to kind of take the hands off the steering wheel and be like, Jesus or Christine, <laughs> take the wheel. <laughs> I don't really feel like doing anything with this. but. I I am finding new passion for being the man of my house, being my wife's husband, and helping her along the way as she navigates her struggles and her victories, being there with her in all those things. I I find new passion as I get a little bit older and a little bit more mature. I'm better able to go and do that. Um, I'm a parent, and I, I, I genuinely love my kids so much. There it is. Okay, no, I love my kids so much that the idea of them becoming anything other than extraordinary breaks my heart, right? Like, kids, you should know that your parents have that heart for you. Um, my job, I already mentioned, I'm a teacher. This is, this is where COVID hits me hard, okay? These two things. I always have a home that I can go back to. My kids are always there, and they're always amazing to me. My wife is always there and she is always amazing to me. I lost something though during COVID, which uh, as I kind of joked about earlier, this is the first time I've had a captive audience. And as an extremely high level intro or extrovert, I live, my batteries are recharged doing classwork, getting into a classroom with a bunch of my best friends is like the greatest thing ever. It fills me up. I could be having a really terrible day, and within a half an hour being amongst my friends, learning about things that they maybe don't want to learn about, but that I'm told they have to learn about. But being able to go through that process brings me life. And then every Wednesday, I get to go and do youth group too. And Pastor Travis has told me that I'm kind of a mutant. I'm a bit weird in the fact that I can go from being in a classroom to being in a youth group setting inside of one day. Like on Wednesdays, I am at the school from 8 until 9, basically. I go home for a short bit of time and have something to eat, and then I come back. And I am spending 12 hours in the presence of kids, but these people are my people. And COVID stripped that from me. Right? It took all of those things, all those things that, truth be told, Christine loves the fact that I do that because it means she doesn't have to be on all the time and be doing all the things because she's an introvert. She doesn't have to go and like go out and see people and do things and be around people and, <laughs> and do, put on the show and have a good time. She doesn't have to, during regular season of life, be that, all of that for the extrovert that I am. And so COVID hits me hard. It is bordering on crippling, right? And I'm sure that there were elements of it that were hard for Christine as well and hard for my kids, although most of them are pretty extroverted as well. So the theme of this, just thinking about the way that it's kind of stripped some of that stuff away from me during this COVID season is enthusiasm and, and passion. Um, so the word enthusiasm, as I got into this, comes from two words, it's, the first part of it is en, which means in, and theos, which is God, so enthusiasm, the root of enthusiasm, is in God, and there's something very powerful about that, that enthusiasm, that joie de vivre, that, you know, joy of life, that we have, that comes from the core, and that core is God, um... Spiritual pr- uh, enthusiasm isn't something that you can work up. I can't manifest spiritual enthusiasm. I don't have it in me to manifest it myself, to make it myself, to actually generate it out of my own being. I have to, first of all, go to the well. I have to go to the place where my enthusiasm comes from. My enthusiasm comes from one place and one place only it comes from the Lord. And if I don't go to him first to be filled up, I, I remember uh, Tyson did this communion meditation where he talked about you know needing the well needing to be refilled because if you let the water sit for too long and draw the same water for too long, it becomes stagnant and is bad for you. So I need to go back and constantly have my well refilled by God. If I don't do that, I actually begin to draw from water that is not good for me, that is going to end up being toxic, and actually make me sick and not able to do what I need to do. Um, So I have to go back to that well first so I can actually get from God what he wants. Uh, The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He said, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Uh, Working enthusiastically for God is... Uh, it's never done in vain. It's never something that you do that is useless work. It's never just busy work. I give busy work in class. I know what busy work is. Working for God is not that. Sorry, students, if you ever want to come back at me and get mad at me for giving you busy work, I do give you busy work, and I will not actually feel bad for it. I said sorry, but I don't actually feel it. Um, So, it's not what you do that makes it meaningful. It's who you do it for. Uh, it's, not that it, it's not that the action is meaningful, but it's the intent of the heart. It's, if you are working from a central position of God's will for this person, if that is where your core is, nothing you're ever gonna be doing is in vain, is, a, is useless work. If I start at my core, being God's heart for Terry, and I choose to go and do this thing to help Terry, to be alongside Terry, to help move Terry from point A to point B, which is where God's will has him going, none of my work is in vain. No matter how hard Terry might resist, no matter how much Terry might pull along with me, all of that work, if I am starting at the core, which is God's will for that person, nothing I do is useless work. So, yeah, passion plays an important role in whether or not we're able to make meaningful connections and influence the people who we're interacting with, the areas that we're investing in. Our levels of passion tells the other person the level of interest I have in them. If I am kind of, you know, hey, how's it going? Let's take you driving, Liam. And if my level of passion for Liam's driving as he gets ready for a driving test and doing those things is like, uh, he's not going to get the sense that I am passionately for him and for his well-being. He's going to get the sense that oh, he's going through the motions. And that's never good. And if you think about the things that you're passionate about in your life, the things that make you feel alive... You should be constantly thinking about how it is that you can show that passion for those people or that thing so that they can understand just how on your side or on their side you are. Got that mixed up. Um, the devotion in that uh, makes a difference in the lives of others. Your passion can be directed towards certain people, various issues. Oh, I was going to read this. Uh, I brought paper with me so I could be like my wife. She always brings something paper. She usually reads out of a paper Bible when she's up here. And I'm always embarrassed for her, but I thought I would... (laughs) I actually have this written in my notes, but I thought I'd just get a little... Okay, so uh, in our uh, Next Steps book, there's a section in there that we, when Christine and I lead Next Steps, uh, we talk about passions. Uh, The definition of passion in here says... A desire of the heart given by God that compels you to devote your resources and energy uh, towards specific areas of interest or needs this devotion results in making a difference in the lives of others and your passion areas may be directed towards certain types of people various issues or causes or specific areas of ministry so when you think about your passions they, they, they almost never say, I'm passionate about. It would feel super weird if someone actually said those words. I'm passionate about golf. I'm not actually passionate about golf. I golf once a year. I'm passionate about Nissan cars. I really like Nissan cars, but I'm not passionate about it. But there are things that I am genuinely passionate about. The lives of teenagers. I am passionate about the lives of teenagers. But no one ever says that, because that would sound weird. So what people usually say is some variation of, oh, I love this. I love cheeseburgers, or I love lamp, or I love a whole bunch of different things. But the the real thing is, is I'm passionate about, if it's a real God-type thing, as opposed to just a superficial, I love cheeseburgers, which Truthfully, I really do enjoy a cheeseburger. I don't love a cheeseburger. I am not passionate about it. I do, however, have passion in my heart for teenagers, for my wife, for our church. I have passion in my heart that is born out of my center in God that allows me to be able to say, I am passionate about these things. Now, back up a little bit, and I'll give you a little bit of foreknowledge Pastor Travis gave me a little bit of a pastoral spanking, saying that I, uh, it was, it wasn't physical, don't worry. Um, (laughs) He gave me just a little bit of a verbal, cuff upside the back of the head, said, Tyler, let's hear it a little bit more out of you, because while I can say that I'm passionate about these things, I oftentimes don't physically show, uh, show it outside. I'm much more of an internal processor, so he gave me a little bit of a cuff upside the back of the head, saying, people need to hear this from you, and they need to understand that there's more to you than just what the surface is, which, you know, I the whole package, I guess. <laughs> so uh, I thought, what better way to talk about love than to go to like the most famous verse about love. Uh, so. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says, uh, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or rude. Uh, it does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no records of wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So, I... I was thinking about that idea of I love this. I, like, when I say I love teenagers, I mean I am passionate about the well-being, the growth, the development of my teen, my peoples. So when I say that, truth be told, I actually love them in the sense of this verse. And there's... I, I kind of want to unpack it and go through it a little bit. Uh, if you parents... I'm gonna give you guys just a little tidbit, a little backgrounder. If you ever go and do parent-teacher interviews, first of all, you should. Second of all, uh, we actually—you laugh, Pastor Trav—but we always see the parents that we never need to see. It's like, why are you here? <laughs> your kid's amazing. I have. Huh, do we want to talk about the Oilers? There's been many a parent-teacher interview that has gone that way, uh, but if you ever go in, what we're kind of coached and taught to do is we sandwich this. And so this verse does the same thing. There's a encouragement, a whoa, and then another encouragement. And so the this verse is the same way. So when I think about my passions, I'm going to just kind of go through it little bit by little bit. Love is patient and kind. My passion for my teens, and I always I get a little bit parental with this, because though my kids, my physical offspring, are my kids, every single student that I teach or every one of my youth kids is one of my kids. That's the way that my heart works for them. So my, my love for those kids is patient and kind. I look at a kid and I think, okay, this kid isn't moving along the way that I had hoped they would but I'm going to be patient with them. And though I may be a little bit sarcastic every now and then, it is my first language. I always make sure, and I have this conversation with people all the time, that if I get too sarcastic, please let me know. If I ever say something that hurts you, that you don't like, tell me and I will never say it again. Uh, there was a kid who was wee, and I was, he called me a Sasquatch. And I felt like, well, if you're, game, if you're game with calling me a Sasquatch, I'm game with calling you a midget. And I got an email from a parent, and she said, uh, he actually doesn't like that very much. And so I've, I never called him that again. He moved a year and a half later. But I've never called him that again because I knew that it hurt him. So my kindness actually is, though I'm sarcastic, I am always going to try and take care of that kid in a way that makes them feel loved and seen and edified. Um, Now we get into those warnings. Love is not jealous. As a youth leader, as the guy that kind of runs youth, I know that there are church youth groups that have significantly higher attendance than ours. I actually don't. I think it's super toxic for me. If I look at this other church's youth group and say they had 110 kids at their youth group, holy cow, I only had 32. If I start comparing and get jealous about what they have, I miss out on the amazingness of the 32 kids that I had. And that does them no good. So with these warnings, inside of this verse about love, my passionaries, I have to treat them the exact same way. I have to actually say, okay, I can't be jealous about what someone else has. I have to love what I have in a way that is really impactful for them. Um, love is not boastful or proud, be humble, oh my gosh. If I end up with 50 kids and I put out like, whoa, we're used to be the best, I'm going to turn some people off quite hard because they will be like, ugh. Oh. That guy who brags all the time is just not someone I really want my kids being around because if that's what they're going to learn from him is, you know, pride, eh. Let's let's not do that. Same thing in my classroom. If I end up okay, I'm I shouldn't lie about this. I do have an unknown competition with a coworker of mine. She doesn't know that I compete with her. I totally do. And I beat her. But if I get proud about it and you know preach about it in front of everyone, then I can actually go and make that take that thing and turn it around and make it a negative. And I really don't want to do that. I think that when it comes to my passion for my kids learning. I need to make sure that I am just as humble because I don't want it to turn into a negative thing either. Um, Love does not demand its own way. Uh, At no point is the youth group, though my wife and I run it, at no point is that ours. It is first and foremost always God's. The youth group is God's youth group, and the kids in it are God's children. And if we start to become, you know, Prideful and making it ours, then it becomes a game. We can we can be a detriment to it. Um, love does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Um, I never want to see a kid falter so that I can minister to them in a different way. I never want to see one of my kids, my wife. I never want to see any of those areas that I'm passionate about. I don't want Christine to, you know have bouts where she doubts herself so that I can swoop in and be the good husband that I want to be, there's no part of my heart for the areas, the the things that I'm passionate about that are actually improved upon by my, my being the hero. God has to be the hero in it. So, and finally, we have this last little bit. Where, God, where they come back in, Jesus, or Paul is saying, well, through Jesus. he's saying He says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Uh, th- that word passion, again, I was doing word searches and finding out uh, the etymology, the root of the words, because I know that my wife does that, and I know she killed it last week, and I want to live up to, you know, the bar was set quite high, right, Jenna? I want to try my very hardest to do the best I can. And So I was looking up root words for passion. The root word for passion is Latin for patty, uh, which is to suffer. And so you've probably all, like, there was the movie The Passion of the Christ, there's passion plays where they go through the whole period where Jesus is, you know, the, the whole leading up to the crucifixion. Um, There is going to be some amount of discomfort, it's not always going to be smooth sailing as you work through those areas that you're passionate about. There's always going to be some amount of it taking a little bit of grit, um, a little bit of determination, a little bit of, it's going to be work. but the reward is so huge. Now, this is me going into my teacher mode a little bit. I want you all to think about something you're genuinely passionate about. Something that in your heart, you're like, God has put this in my heart, and I want this person, I want these people, I want this organization to be successful, whatever it is. I want you to think about that, and every one of us can recognize that there was, there is work that goes into making that thing successful. There is a bit of grind, there is a bit of like, but when those things go so well, I, I have been in my classroom and kids are working through things, interpersonal things, and kids walk out teary-eyed. I have been, like, in the youth end of things, I've seen kids come to Christ and accept them as their Savior. And these are kids that you've worked on and worked with and loved on for years. And that final moment where they just kind of, like, take that step over the line and make that, you know, Jesus is the core. He is my Savior. And they accept them in that regard. I've been there. And the work, it's nothing compared with the reward like that moment of in there is mind-altering now there, there's one final caution I have if I take my giftings and my passions and I let them become entangled in you know politics or in worldly things in, Any number of those different conversations that I can have, my passion for my kids is never about... I had someone recently comment to me about money, whether it be teaching, like, you know, we're about to go into contract negotiations. That can never be something that interferes with my ability to love on my students. It becomes, again, it just takes it and twists it and makes it negative. My question comes back. Where are you? Are you the person that is uh, enthios, enthusiastic, passionate about things? Are you living in that moment where you are on fire and you are willing to pull the weight? Or are you kind of stuck in comfort mode? Pastor Trav had to give me a cup of the back of the head. Because I had fallen back into comfort mode. I had taken the the whole COVID whatever as permission to kind of just coast. And I needed it. I need, before I go back into school, before youth starts back up, I need to go back to the well, refill myself, so that I can do the work that God has put before me for this year. If I don't do that, I will be a resounding gong, nothing more than a bunch of noise that kids will tune out, that those people that I desperately want to be better tomorrow than they were today, I'll just be loud, noise, and they'll tune me out. If I go back to the well, if I refill, I can be what they need through him. Um, Jesus said to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, 4, and 5, he said, here's where your problem is. You forgot your first love. So I'll be honest. Again, I have a tendency to ebb and flow just like everyone else does when I'm in those low points, Jesus is calling out to me saying, Tyler, you forgot your first love. And I'm like, yeah. And I have a tendency just to kind of be like, yeah, you're right. But never really take any step or any, make any motion out of that. Because when he's saying that, he's actually saying, like, look at how far you've fallen. Look at where you were and look at where you are. And there's, there's a part of it that's, I don't know how to put it exactly. It's, I I didn't lose Jesus, I just stepped away. Like it's an active thing for me is that stepping away, because the second I stop pursuing and going back to the well and doing those things, and and Jesus in that revelation says says, go back to doing what you first did. Go back for me. If I think about it, if I think about what I first did that made me fall in love with Jesus, it was those kids that I was be a, that I'd be a youth leader for. That filled my heart. Uh, I remember my dad when I was telling. I told him, this is a way long time ago. I was like, Dad, I'm going to become a teacher, and he said, Don't do it. And I was like, What? You were, you were you're amazing. You're such a good teacher, Dad. Why? And he said, It's just not the same. And I was like, No, I. I The reason why God called me to the classroom is so I could make a difference in people's lives. That's what, that's what I, when I prayed to God when I was 18, 19, I was like, what am I supposed to do with my life, God? He said, make a difference in people's lives. I can't sit back and let myself just be like, I guess I lost it. I lost Jesus. I have to actively go back to that first thing. When I find myself in low places like this COVID, I have to go back and I have to start worshiping. I have to start reading my Bible. I have to start doing all those things, listening, podcasting. This whole process has been super life-giving. Like, oh my gosh. It's, It's like, oh, his presence is alive and real in my life. And I can move in ways that I would never be able to. We did our, uh, our uh, what's it called? Pastor Charlie was here, and he did prophetic. That's the word I was looking for. He did our prophetic thing, and he said, Tyler, they're going to pull you into the dock, and they're going to take you, and they're going to take all the scales off, and they're going to refit you. And I was like, what does that mean? COVID is what that is. It's pulling me into the dock. Pastor Trav, kick me in the backside to Tyler. Get your poop in a group and get out there and do something with your passions. Guess what? This is, this is the thing. The reason why God has those moments where we can be kind of pulled into the dock to be refitted, to be made ready to do the next great thing is so that we're retooled, ready to take the next step, ready to move in a more powerful way for someone else. So if you do find yourself... If in your life right now, you're in that season of pulled away, go back to whatever that first thing was. Think back to what drew you towards Jesus and just start doing that again. Singing in the shower some worship song, praying in your closet. I don't know what that thing is for you. For me, it's talking to God just in my head. He audibly talks inside of my head. When I talk to him, he talks back and answers me in not an audible voice in my room, but just inside of my head. We have conversations. And God is alive and well in my life right now because COVID kicked my butt. So if you find yourself there, go back. Find it? No. No. <laughs> I'm going to close this in a very teachery way. I'm going to give you homework. Yeah. If you have one of these, if you have a Next Step book, I'm going to challenge you to go into the appendixes. If you've gone through Next Steps with me, you know that the appendixes make me appendices. Appendicitis. I hope not. Um, if you have one of these Next Step books, I'm going to challenge you to go in, in the back, Appendix 2 is all about what, pa- what you're passionate about. If you did your homework originally, you should be able to go back into this and find those things. And you know what, if you are in a position of being kind of pulled back, go back and find your passions. What did God put on your heart that made you want to pursue Him, chase after Him with every fiber of your being? Find those things again. Let them help you to unlock what the next great thing is in your life. So, I'm going to pray. You have homework. It shouldn't take very long, but I expect it to be done for next Sunday. So, (laughs) God, I thank you for, I thank you, God, for just pulling me back Uh, I thank you for the pain and the hardship that COVID has been. I thank you for the ability to kind of move into something new and try some new stuff on. And I thank you for whatever the next thing is. God, I pray that you would just help all of us to be able to do the next right thing. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.